0: Last week we worked through the first ten verses in chapter 11. Today we're going to pick up here in verse number 11. Verse 11 begins just like verse number 1. First, there's a clause. The clause is, I say then. Then there's the question. The question is, did they not stumble so as to fall? Um, They did not stumble so as to fall, did they? Now, the contrast between stumble and fall is dramatic and devastating. The idea of fall is that of a permanent, final fall spiritually. So the question is, is Israel's problem with Jesus, is it permanent? Is it final? Will Israel ever accept God's Son as the true Messiah? Is the spiritual fall of Israel everlasting? Notice Paul's response because it's quite forceful. Once again, the question in Greek was worded to elicit a negative response. And so this is the tenth time. It's also the last time in Romans that Paul responds with, may it never be. He says, may it never be. Heaven forbid. He says they did not stumble so as to fall is ultimately what he is affirming. Now the they in the question refers to the rest of Israel who was hardened that was mentioned back in verse number seven. They were the majority of the people of Israel, excluding the remnant chosen by grace that was identified back in verse number five. So Israel experienced not a permanent fall, but a stumbling. And that stumbling served at least two divine purposes that Paul immediately identifies. He says, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Jesus warned about this transitioning of blessing all the way back in one of his parables that's contained... There in Matthew chapter 21. But since you have your place there, look over at Matthew 21. We're going to pick up beginning in verse number 33. So listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. Now, now the vineyard has always been used as a symbol for national Israel. Okay, so there was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it. And built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approaches, uh, he sent his slaves. Now, the slaves represents the prophets. He sent his slaves to the vine growers. Uh, the vine growers would represent either the nation of Israel or at least the leaders within the nation of Israel. And so it said that when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? And they said to him, He will bring those wretches. To a wretched end, and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers. Now, in the immediate context, this new tenant refers to the common people of the land, but in a broader context, these new tenants refer to the Gentiles. And so he says he says that he'll rent out the vineyard to other vine growers and will pay who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. In order for us to grasp the significance of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 21, as well as to understand what Paul is trying to address in our text this morning, there are several important factors that need to be understood at this point. First of all, uh, what we talked about last week, and that is that God chose Israel to be His people. They were chosen not because of their own righteousness. They were chosen not because of their size, of their strength. No, God chose Israel to be His people out of His divine will, in accordance to His Sovereign plan, God. Uh, Paul, in, in our journey through Romans, Paul had already highlighted some of the benefits that Israel had in being chosen by God. Let me share some of them with you. We go back to Romans chapter three. They were given the oracles of God—that is, the Word of God. They were given the revelation of God to the world. Romans three, verse one and two says. Then what advantage has the Jew? What is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Then, in Romans chapter 9, Paul tells us that the the Jewish people were given a great privilege. They were privileged people in spiritual things. Romans 9 verse 4 and 5 says, Who are Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises? Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. However, They failed God and their God-given mission. Therefore, God took away from them His special privilege. That's the point that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 21. Let's walk through it again. This is what Jesus points out in His parable. Verses 35 and 36 says, The vine growers took his slave, beat one, killed another, stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. Then they committed the worst crime in all of humanity. They rejected and killed the Son of God. Verse 37 picks up and says, But afterward, he sent his Son to them, saying, They will respect my Son. But when the vine growers saw the Son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come. Let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, killed him. God's chosen nation opposed the rule and the reign of God in their lives. And in a final step of rebellion, they opposed, rejected, and killed the Messiah. And when they did, they forfeited their godly privilege. The kingdom of God was taken away from them and extended to others. God turned from Israel because they killed his son. Look at verse 40 and 41. It says, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him their proceeds at the proper season. So God turned them from them because they killed his son. God turned from Israel because they were unfruitful. Verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, given to a people, producing the fruit of it. Romans chapter 9, Paul gives us even more insight. He tells us that God turned away from Israel because they sought a righteousness that was based upon their own efforts, righteousness based upon their works, rather than pursuing a righteousness that's based in faith. In Romans chapter 9, verses 31 and 32, Paul says, but Israel... Pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Then in chapter Paul even has so much more to say. In chapter 10, he tells us that that God turns away from Israel because they would not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. That's verses 2 and 3. Verse number 16, because they did not obey the Gospel. In verse number 21, we see that God turned from Israel because they were disobedient and obstinate. So when God chose Israel to be His people... That did not mean that all of Israel received his salvation. Let me be very clear. Salvation is never a matter of heritage. Salvation is always a matter of a personal response to the Son of God. Salvation was, is, and will always be a matter of a personal belief in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't be born into salvation. It doesn't happen that way. And there was never a moment in Israel's history when every Jew believed in the promises of God. Never. Paul's already talked about this Throughout Romans, I'm not going to read the references, but I'll give them to you. You can check them out. He's already addressed this reality. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Romans chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. Again in verse chapter 4, verse number 13. Then he addresses it in Romans chapter 9, verses 27 through 29. So, Never a moment in Israel's history when every Jew believed in the promises of God. However, there's always been a remnant. There's always been at least a small number of genuine believers. And we saw that from our text last week in uh, verses 1 through 5. Let me be clear. God has not forsaken the Jewish people the door of salvation is open to them as well as the Gentiles in fact the Jews can now look at true Christian believers and see their holiness see their their love their joy and their peace and they can be stirred to receive Christ as their Savior that's the point of the passage God sees to it that some Jews are provoked, that is, that they are stirred to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, to receive the salvation that is found only in, in through repenting and believing in the Son of God. God so loves Israel that He is now provoking them to jealousy so that they would desire what the Gentiles have now received in their place. Back to Romans 11, picking up in verse number 12. It says, Now if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? Again, we see the beautiful way in which the The hand of providence from God. How it works and moves through history. God is able to bring good out of evil. That's Romans 8.28, right? And so He uses His power and His sovereignty to bring about redemption. The Jews' rejection of Jesus means that the Gospel was expanded and taken to all people. Throughout the world. Paul's saying that if the apostasy of Israel brought a great blessing to the world, then how much greater blessing will come through the restoration of Israel? And that's the focus of the rest of the chapter here in Romans 11. The restoration of the Jewish people. In verse 13, Paul says, But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles, inasmuch then... As I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. Paul was God's primary minister to the Gentiles in the first century. And Paul magnified that ministry and he glorified in his God and the calling that God placed upon his life. When Paul would go to various towns or villages or or communities, typically Paul would go to the synagogue first so that he could speak to the Jewish people first. Many times, their unbelief would turn towards hostility towards Paul. And then Paul would take the message and present it to the Gentiles. We see this very clearly in Acts chapter 13. Let me read a section for you. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse number 44. The next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiated it, and, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. for So the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth to which our response ought to be, Amen. Without the rejection of Israel, then, then salvation would not have been so widespread, expanding to the Gentiles. Salvation of Gentiles is not the end of the story. The salvation of Gentiles has its purpose too. Part of that purpose It's to make the Jewish people jealous. The blessing offered to the Gentiles ought to spur the, the Jewish community to end their hostility towards the Gospel and ultimately bring them to a place and position of faith and trust in the Son of God. Verse 14 says, If somehow... I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, then what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul's convinced that Israel's stumbling is temporary rather than permanent. And with two illustrations, Paul proves this point, and we're going to look at one of those illustrations this morning. Look at verse number sixteen. It says that the first piece of dough is holy; the lump is hol- is also, and if the root is holy, the branches are too. Start with the illustration of dough and a lump. The piece of dough translates the Greek word, which literally means a first fruit offering to the Lord first fruit offering to the Lord.' It's, it's an offering of any kind. It refers to the first portion of an offering that was set aside dedicated to the Lord. See through Moses God gave certain instructions to his people we see the one that relates to this in numbers chapter 15. Verses 19 through 21. There it says, Then it shall be that when you eat of the food of the land, you shall lift up an offering to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall lift up a cake as an offering. As the offering of the flesh threshing floor, so you shall lift it up. From the first of your dough, you shall give to the Lord an offering Throughout your generations, and so those cakes or the loaves uh, those, those were given to the Lord as an offering, but they were given specifically uh, to to the temple or the tabernacle they were given to feed the priest food was used to to serve and to feed the priests who served the Lord in their ministry in the tabernacle and then later in the temple so so therefore before any bread would be eaten in the household, a special portion of that, that first piece of dough was consecrated and presented to the Lord. And only a portion was presented to the Lord. And so although only a portion of that special piece of dough, well, that, that, that portion represented the entire loaf. Or that, that portion of dough represented the lump itself and all of it is being acknowledged as coming from the lord so in other words they were giving back to the lord a representation of what god had already given unto them that's why the lump is also holy because it all belongs to god And so what's that saying in our text? It's saying that the Jews were the first piece of dough. The Jews are the first piece of dough. And they're dedicated to God. And the Gentile converts, well, they're the rest of the loaf. And guess what? They belong to God too. Then we're going to see it again next week. As, as we walk through uh, verses 17 through 24, and so let me just close by, by reading our text for next week. There it says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches, But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God that those who fell, severity, but to you, kindness. And if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? I promise you that text isn't as difficult as it might seem. We will walk into it. Because understanding that section is going to be critical in order for us to unpack verse 25 where it says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come. Then it says these words. And so all Israel will be, will be saved. And that is going to be a very delicate verse that we will diligently unpack together. I want to close us with a word of prayer today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace, and for the forgiveness that you offer unto all of us. God, I pray that we would be right in our understanding of Your Word, that we would rightly apply it to our hearts and to our lives. God, that You would create within each and every one of us a hunger and a desire to, to love You more and to, to love one another more and to serve You and to serve others. And God, that we would be fully committed in this relationship that's based upon our faith in Jesus Christ. God, there are some that are in this place that have no relationship of faith. And I pray that your Spirit would move among them, that before they leave this place, that they would seek out me, uh, an elder, or someone on staff, or some other believer. And God, they would just ask, What does this mean to put our faith and trust into the Son of God? For your children that are gathered here today, God, I pray that you would make known unto us the offenses that are in our lives, that we would confess them, repent from them, and pursue a righteous walk with you. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather with friends and family over an extended weekend. We recognize that there have been many that have given their lives in service to our nation, Father. Now we thank you for the supreme sacrifice that they willingly made. And God, help us today. Help us to walk rightly in a wicked world. May we not be ashamed of our faith. May we patiently, carefully, lovingly proclaim your name and present your truth to the world that's in desperate need of light. In Christ's name I pray, amen.